With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. On the evening of August 21st, 1989, Norman Ladner, a 17-year-old high school student, went hunting on his family's property in Picayune, Mississippi. When Norman didn't return home by 7 p.m., his parents grew concerned and went looking for him. Ultimately, Norman was found in the woods, dead from a single shotgun wound to the temple. A coroner and medical examiner ultimately ruled that Norman had committed suicide. However, his parents have adamantly denied this possibility and maintained that he was murdered. It's been 34 years since Norman died, and his loved ones are still searching for answers. Hey everyone, welcome back to Detective Perspective. My name is Derek Lavasser. I'm a licensed private investigator and former police detective. Each week I'll be covering an unsolved case and story format. I'll then give you my perspective on the investigation and provide contact information for the individuals or organizations connected to the case so that if you have any tips, you can contact them directly and maybe you can help solve a case. And if you're someone who's interested in true crime, specifically unsolved cases, and you'd like to hear my opinion on those investigations, please consider subscribing whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you use. It would be greatly appreciated. Okay, Norman Ladner. This is an interesting case, and I try to keep you guys on your toes. I try to keep it different. Um, This is a case that, as you will see throughout this episode, that law enforcement, the authorities involved, not only, I should say, investigators involved, but Everyone from the medical examiner to the coroner, they all believe that Norman killed himself or this was an accident. However, Norman's parents uh, do not believe either. I think they were more inclined to believe the, the idea that maybe this was a tragic accident. But knowing their son like they do, they just didn't see a world where he would kill himself. And they didn't see a world where, based on the on the young boy that they had been, I mean, he was 17 years old, but he was still a boy, was in a position or was experiencing something or displaying some type of behavior that would indicate that he was depressed or upset or scared about something and would cause him to go in the woods and, and kill himself. Um, they also considered the fact of the, the, the chain of events leading up to it. He was working and then left the store and was just going back there like he normally did, didn't give any indication that he was feeling some type of way or was in a a mind state that would lead to something like this. Now I'm going to get more into this into my perspective at the end. I want to give you guys the overview of the case and let you kind of come to your own conclusions. I don't want to influence you too much. But the reason I decided to cover this case is because this, this one was covered by Unsolved Mysteries and clearly they felt that there was enough there to cover it. 
And I will say for me as well, there's some questions about this case that I just can't answer. And so what are we doing here? We're, we're giving exposure to cases that you may not have heard of and hoping that it drums up some new conversations, some additional dialogue, and who knows where it leads. We have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Uh, Norman's mother is still alive, Charlotte. So I don't know. She's she's in her 80s. So I don't know if she's going to be someone who listens to this. But either way, maybe a family member of, of Norman's will listen to it or watch it and, and let her know about it. So if it doesn't do anything else at all, we're carrying on the legacy of Norman's parents who who vowed to continue to push for their son all the way to their death. So we're going to do our part to keep this case alive. Okay, with that all out of the way, let's dive into the case. Norman Charles Ladner was born on May 29, 1972, in Mississippi to his parents Norman Sr. and Charlotte. He, along with his three sisters and three brothers, grew up in Pearl River, Mississippi. However, they spent a lot of their time in Picayune, a neighboring town with around 10,000 residents. This area was a 45-minute drive from bigger cities like Biloxi, Mississippi, and New Orleans, Louisiana. The Ladner family had strong connections to Picayune as they owned a Minute Mart convenience store there. During the summer of 1989, Norman worked as a clerk at the store. He was also preparing to return to school for his senior year of high school, where he was well-liked by all of his peers. Behind the store, the Ladners owned over 120 acres of land, which included a mix of farmland and woods. Norman enjoyed the woods where he would often explore and sometimes go hunting. Norman's mother Charlotte told the Times-Picayune that he was a gifted outdoorsman and craftsman. When Norman wasn't working during the summer of 1989, he was busy forging a large sword, which he completed on August 20th. On the following day, Norman left the store to go hunting in the woods behind it. Norman Sr. told Unsolved Mysteries that Norman was always punctual and would return to the store by 7 or 7.30 p.m., but never later. However, on the night of August 21st, Norman didn't come back when he was supposed to. By 7 p.m., Norman Sr. started to worry. His son was always on time, and he knew the area well, so getting lost seemed highly unlikely. Concerned that something had gone wrong, Norman Sr. and Charlotte began looking around the area behind the store to find their son. Not long after they began their search, Charlotte decided to go back to the store in case Norman returned. Norman Sr. continued to search the woods, and eventually, he found his son lying face up on the ground. He had been shot in the head and was already cold to the touch. Norman Sr. later told Unsolved Mysteries, quote, It's a deep shock and a tragedy to come up on and find your own son, because you could never imagine or think how this could happen or the loss of a child until you've experienced going through it. Norman Sr. returned to the store and contacted the police. Sheriff Lawrence Lumpkin of Pearl River County, along with a few deputies, arrived at the scene just after 10 p.m. and immediately confirmed that Norman was deceased. Sheriff Lumpkin secured the wooded area and began his investigation, looking for any signs of foul play. He looked over Norman's body and noticed a gunshot wound to his temple and a one and quarter inch cut to the top of Norman's head toward the peak. Additionally, Lumpkin realized that Norman's wallet was missing and the 12-gauge shotgun beside him was broken. Now Lumpkin told Unsolved Mysteries that after looking over the scene, he immediately ruled out any involvement of foul play. He said, quote, I ruled it out in this instance because I saw nothing there to indicate that. At first, I thought it might have been an accident. It looked as though Norman might have been in a tree nearby and subsequently fallen out of the tree and the gun discharged. Lumpkin theorized that the cut on Norman's head happened when he fell. 
He located a tree root with blood on it at the scene, which he believed caused the cut. So I want to talk about this real quick because I'm sure some of you are sitting here saying, wow, this sheriff ruled this an accident pretty quickly. And I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you, but when you're looking over a crime scene, yes, you want to consider the fact that foul play was involved in every case you respond to and you want to treat it as such. But also it's, it's important to use common sense. And without being there myself, there may have been things that were very obvious to him. The tree root having blood on it, I think that's a good observation. The broken shotgun, the type of injury to the victim's head, all of these things collectively can start to paint a picture. And I don't know if this is what Sheriff Lumpkin thought internally or if he immediately told everyone around him, including the parents, that, yep, this was an accident, case closed. But clearly he did it very soon after, if not in that moment, because of what I'm going to say next. This is obviously the ruling that he went with. This is his final decision on this. And I would say I could sit here and kind of play down what he did and, and say that it was the wrong call. But if everything points in that direction, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. But I would say it wouldn't hurt to potentially wait at least a couple days, you know, put some put some feelers out there, see if anything comes out or comes forward that would contradict what the at least how the scene appeared. But again, that's Monday morning quarterbacking it, and I, I don't like to do that too often because, again, I know from personal experience that when you're there, it's different, and I've always been frustrated when I had a case and I'll see some pundit or some journalist online talking about our case, the specifics of our case when we haven't even released it yet, and I'm sitting there getting frustrated because I know that they're missing or not saying a few different things that they're not aware of because they weren't there. They didn't see it themselves. They didn't smell it. They didn't see it. They didn't. Um, they weren't able to get the the depth of everything because again, they're reading it off a, a statement that was released later, and and that doesn't give that three dimensional picture that the investigators have. So to put myself in that shoe and do exactly what I'm doing right now that I hated so much, it it's a it's a a tough one for me, but to just keep it impartial, did he, did he pull the trigger a little fast? No pun intended here. Maybe, but I also could see a world where he, he read the room. He looked at the evidence. He took his time with it. He had other deputies there. And ultimately based on everything that he saw, it all lined up and that's the decision he made. Now to the point that I was just making about other um, specialists, other professionals being involved with this whole process and coming to a conclusion, that's where this comes in. County Coroner John Stafford soon arrived at the scene and conducted his own investigation. Afterward, he, along with two deputies, returned to the Ladner store and informed the family that they believed there was a 90% chance the shooting was accidental. Norman's body was then sent for an autopsy, which was performed by a forensic pathologist from New Orleans. The examination showed that Norman had been shot at close range and the bullet went in through the right temple and exited through the left temple. This meant that the bullet was no longer inside Norman's head. However, police did not attempt to find the missing bullet. Now, because the bullet wound indicated the gun was in close contact to Norman when it was fired, the pathologist ruled Norman's death a suicide, not an accident. Sheriff Lumpkin later told Unsolved Mysteries that Norman's injuries were typical for suicide. He believed Norman went into the woods, a place he was comfortable with, and for unknown reasons, he chose to end his own life. Okay, so let's dive into Sheriff Lumpkin's comments for a second here. Uh, I, I partially agree with it. One part I agree with, the other part I don't. So let's start with what I agree with. 
I do think that when you have a gunshot wound this close in proximity to the individual's head, it is highly suggestive that it's either a suicide or an accident. Yes, I've seen the movies, and and there have been actual cases where a suicide is staged, where the offenders will hold the victim against their will, fire their gun at close range while they're holding it to give the impression to detectives later that this person took their own life. They want to throw them off the scent, right? That does happen. But we got to look at the totality of circumstances here, right? This is a 17-year-old boy. Doesn't appear that he had any enemies. How would his attackers even know he was going to be out there? They would have to have kind of premeditated this whole suicide attempt to make it look like one. And and what would the motive be? What is what is what did Norman know or have that w- would lead someone to want to kill him and and make it, and stage it to look like a suicide? I think that's very unlikely. If Norman was killed, you're looking at a situation where someone out there didn't like him and from probably a, a not close range because Norman had a gun as well. They shot him with a, a different firearm or if I had to really put my money on it and this wasn't an accident or a suicide, I would say this was a hunting accident, which we've seen before where this individual that's in the woods is out there hunting. Uh, Norman's not wearing a vest and they're in at a far distance and they see something moving in the woods. They think it's a deer or an elk or whatever animals prevalent to that area and without actually seeing what they're shooting, they pull the trigger and find out after the fact that they just shot a young boy. And they're scared. They know the ramifications that could come from this, the consequences that may result. And so they leave without telling anyone. Is that possible? Yes. And it, it's very possible that the way he was shot, it's while he's walking. So they fire the bullet and it goes in one side and it's a through and through. And then he drops to the ground. And that also could have caused the injury to his lip where, yeah, he ended up on his back, but it's a situation where he could have hit a tree branch or something on the way down. Again, without visually seeing the injury, it's hard for me to speculate, but that's why I partially agree with him and partially don't. I I don't think it's fair to say, you know, his injuries are typical with a suicide because I think with a suicide, it's not only about the physical attributes of the suicide, it's the events leading up to it. There's an investigation that has to take place where you look into the victim to see what was going on in their life. Was there a journal? Was there any video recordings? Was there any browser history? At this point, in this case, there wouldn't have been, obviously. But you you want to try to recreate the days or weeks leading up to that person's death to see if there would be anything or any indication that this individual was contemplating taking their own life. And it doesn't sound like there was any of that with Norman. So I think it's unfair to say that, that Norman's circumstances are typical of a suicide because what's really typical about his case other than the fact that it was a close gunshot wound to the head. So agree on some, disagree on other parts of it. Now, as you can imagine, Norman's family was completely shocked by this change in manner of death. Just the day before, they were told it was most likely an accident. Now they're being told it was a suicide. Norman Sr. later shared with Unsolved Mysteries that he couldn't believe Norman took his own life. He said, quote, I knew my son too well. He enjoyed living life to the fullest. He was happy. He was outgoing. He was not depressed in any way. Charlotte added, quote, He had no reason to kill himself, and he was too careful to accidentally shoot himself. Now, real quick on that, respect both Norman Sr. and Charlotte, obviously, but I will say, in cases where an accident happens, 
that's why it's an accident. It's something that's out of character for them. It wasn't intended. And even when someone is very careful, all it takes is one momentary lapse in judgment and it could result in tragedy. And I wouldn't even say it's a lapse in judgment. If he's trying to climb a tree and his foot slips the wrong way or while he's in the tree, he he loses his balance. There's, it's physics. You fall to the ground, the gun falls a certain way, it goes off. And unfortunately, instead of it just missing your head or your shoulder, it, it hit him in the temple. It's a freak accident, probably a one out of a one million chance, but could it have happened that way? Absolutely. And, and it could be this tragic accident that although Norman was safe 99.9% .9 of the time the, in this particular situation, it just, it was honestly just a stroke of bad luck. And, and I don't say that to say that's what happened here. I'm just saying it, we have to entertain it as one of the possibilities. And although Norman was careful most of the time, it doesn't mean that this couldn't have happened that way. Now, the Ladiners believe that the authorities rushed to conclude that Norman's death was a suicide. According to the Sun-Herald, the Ladiners wrote multiple letters to the sheriff, coroner, forensic pathologist, and the state requesting additional information about the autopsy and other records. Upon receiving the reports, they noted several inconsistencies that raised questions. First off, the sheriff's department had not fingerprinted the broken shotgun or conducted a thorough investigation into the bullet that exited Norman's temple. This meant that authorities couldn't definitively confirm whether Norman's shotgun was the weapon that caused his death. Norman Sr. and Charlotte also questioned how Norman's shotgun had broken after he had allegedly shot himself. This aspect seemed puzzling to them. Additionally, the Ladners found the location of the cut on the top of Norman's head to be suspicious. They couldn't understand how Norman sustained such an injury if he had fallen backward after being shot like the scene indicated. They believed that the cut should have been on the side or back of his head instead. Another concerning factor for the Ladners was Norman's missing wallet. They were aware that he had $140 in cash inside his wallet, which would be the equivalent to approximately $345 today. The Ladners questioned if Norman had really taken his own life, why would he dispose of his wallet? Now, I want to weigh in on this wallet too because this was something that I went back and looked up and I couldn't find anything. But I'm assuming after all these years, the wallet was never found. And this does raise a big question for me, right? And I could talk about this wallet for 20, 30 minutes. I won't. But I'm assuming the wallet was never found which would suggest, if you're looking at just that, that the, the motive in this death could have been a robbery. But it's just so far-fetched me to think that someone would know this young boy was going to be walking out of the store. I should say teenager. I shouldn't call him a young boy. But that he was going to be walking out of the store into the woods and would have this type of cash on him, and they would shoot him for a couple hundred bucks. It just seems like a, a lot. If this was really about money, why wouldn't the gunman just rob the store? Why would you take a risk on a teenager who might have some money on him after you kill him? Doesn't, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like I said earlier, if this was a, a homicide, then I, would, I believe it's more likely that it was a hunter who, who, who mistook Norman as an animal. Um, but there are some other theories here that we're going to talk about that do potentially have some weight. So just stick with me on this one. Now, according to the Sun-Herald, all of these factors led the Ladners to conclude that Norman had been struck on the head with a rifle which caused the cut and broke the shotgun. They believed that someone had subsequently shot Norman with another firearm and then took his wallet and money. The Ladner family decided to conduct their own investigation, focusing on the area where they found Norman's body. They dug up the dirt, searching for the bullet that took his life. 
Charlotte later told Unsolved Mysteries about this search, saying, quote, I remember so well the feeling I had of having to sift through the dried particles of brain tissue and blood of my son. Now this had to be horrible, but the Ladner's efforts paid off and they discovered a bullet in the dirt. However, they had their doubts about whether the bullet came from Norman's gun because it was much longer than what would fit in the shotgun's chamber. Upon closer examination under a magnifying glass, the Ladners realized the bullet contained dry blood and a strand of hair. They now believe they found the bullet that killed their son. When they took their concerns to Sheriff Lumpkin, he said the bullet found in the dirt was not the one responsible for Norman's death. He argued that Norman was standing when he shot himself, causing the bullet to travel horizontally and not bury itself in the ground. So with this whole scenario, I find it really perplexing because... You have a situation where you have a young teenager who dies by way of bullet and coincidentally the family digs up the area and finds a bullet right there with blood and hair on it. Now, this is a hunting area. It may be common to find bullets in trees and ground and all, all these different areas, rocks, whatever, stray bullets. But either way, to find one in that area... That's something you got to take seriously. The only issue you can have with it is the fact that it was found by the parents. And for chain of custody issues and the integrity of the evidence itself, I hate to say this, but if you're being objective as an investigator, you could argue that because the family wants to really believe and wants others to believe that their son didn't kill himself, you have to ask yourself the difficult question of, did they potentially plant this evidence there? And I, I know it wasn't said that way, but I have to believe that this was a thought. If Sheriff Lumpkin is on the up and up, that's something that was running through his head. Now, if Sheriff Lumpkin's not on the up and up, you could make an argument that how would he know for certain that Norman was standing up when he shot himself? He could have laid down on his side and shot himself to be closer to the ground. I don't know why he would do that, but why would he shoot himself in the first place, right? I think if we're to believe Lumpkin, it's the belief that because he had that injury to the to the tip of his, you know, top of his head, that he had to have been standing for not only that injury, but also for the injury to the shotgun to occur. That's He was adding those things in to say, listen, something had to happen in order for these things to happen the way they did, the injury, the broken gun, he couldn't have been laying on the ground because the gun, if it was already on the ground, it obviously wouldn't have broken. But my response would be, what if you're wrong? What if this isn't a suicide at all? What if this isn't an accident at all? So the fact that he didn't take the bullet seriously is a little concerning and that he would just kind of dismiss it as something that wasn't relevant. I don't think that was necessarily the best move. But again, as we continue through this case, this could just be because he had all the evidence he needed, and it was exactly the way it looked. I mean, listen, it wasn't only Sheriff Lumpkin. It was the coroner. It was the medical examiner, other deputies. They all believed the same thing. So I'm not isolating Sheriff Lumpkin here, but it is something where if he's not on the up and up, would he have an incentive to dismiss anything that could potentially point to what really happened to Norman? We're going to get into that more. Now, the Ladners refused to believe that the bullet they found was not related to their son's death. They theorized that Norman had been lying on the ground when he was shot by someone else, which would explain how the bullet ended up in the dirt. 
The Ladner sent the bullet to a state ballistics expert, but unfortunately, the expert said they couldn't figure out if the bullet came from Norman's gun or not. The Ladners later claimed that the expert returned a bullet to them, however, it was not the one they initially found in the dirt. They never got the correct bullet back. This is terrible. I don't know what happened here. Chain of custody issues do happen, so I'm not going to say it's not possible. But again, when something like this happens, I will tell you on the outside looking in, you're going to have investigators and obviously in the court of public opinion, people saying, see, this bullet thing is just a it's it's a red herring. And maybe the Ladners are making this whole thing up. And I'm just telling you, I'm not saying that's what I think, but I can tell you and maybe even some of you out there are going, yeah, OK, now the bullet that supposedly was responsible for your son's death is not the one you got back. So, again, this could be a situation where there's something more going on here or just another case of really bad luck. A few weeks later, the Ladners went to the coroner's office to question Norman's suicide ruling. Charlotte told Unsolved Mysteries that while there, a stranger interrupted them and pulled her aside. He told her, quote, Mrs. Ladner, don't open this case up. You have other children. I suggest you raise them for your own good. You'll never find the person that killed your son and then the stranger left. The Ladners didn't care about the stranger's warnings. Norman Sr. decided to return to the spot where Norman was found dead. While searching over 300 yards away, he discovered a, quote, strange radio-like device that looked homemade. Norman Sr. took the device to the police, who suggested it was part of a weather balloon and that it was not an important clue. Norman Sr. then showed the device to a neighbor, who advised him to show a former DEA agent. The agent explained to Norman Sr. that devices like the one he found were used by drug dealers to signal aircraft by emitting a low-range signal for proper alignment to drop a shipment of drugs. This led the Ladners to theorize that Norman had stumbled onto some drug activity in the woods and was killed for that reason. Now, I don't know this area too well, but there would be a lot here for this to have legs to me. This was an area that was frequented by the Ladners and other individuals in that area, including the sheriff. So if there was this prevalent drug activity going on in those woods, I mean, we're talking a lot of land out there. You have 120 acres. I would like to think that if this was something that was happening, some type of activity that was happening in that area, people from that community would know about it. And maybe that's the case. Maybe this was something that was prevalent out there and drug activity in, in that rural area was something that was common. If that's the case, then there could be some some truth to this. But if there's no known documentation leading up or after this event that would suggest that drug smugglers were using this area to carry out the transactions of drug activity or the shipments or drop shipments of drugs, large quantities of drugs, then to think that this was just one isolated incident that Norman walked into, like I always say, not impossible, but highly unlikely. But there is another angle to this. But before we get into that, I want to talk about what else the Ladners did in this investigation. Now, in August, the Ladners had Norman's body exhumed by a medical examiner from Kansas. The Ladners also hired a private investigator and a lawyer to assist them in looking into Norman's death. In total, the couple ended up spending thousands of dollars in their quest for answers. Everything they found told them that their son did not shoot himself. On September 13, 1990, the Ladners held a press conference to share their findings and express their belief that Norman had been murdered. This event prompted responses from Sheriff Lawrence Lumpkin, 
and Coroner John Stafford through prepared statements. Sheriff Lumpkin stated that the case wasn't a mystery and suggested the Ladners couldn't accept the ruling of suicide. He mentioned that his office had sent all of their reports to the state medical examiner's office and state investigators who reached the same conclusion. Norman took his own life. Lumpkin said that while he sympathized with the family, there were reputations at stake and that the family's actions were calling into question the integrity of the people who had worked on the case. County Coroner John Stafford stated that the investigation had followed Mississippi laws and standard forensic practices. He stressed that it had always been conducted in a professional manner. Stafford also mentioned that Mississippi statutes allowed anyone who disagreed with the coroner's ruling to challenge it. He said the Ladners could appeal to the state medical examiner, and if they still disagreed with the determination, they could further appeal the ruling to the circuit court. Stafford noted that county officials had asked the Ladners multiple times to submit a challenge, but they hadn't done so. In response, the Ladners said they didn't want to take the case to court, they just wanted answers to their questions concerning all the inconsistencies in the official reports. On the same day of the press conference, Unsolved Mysteries wrapped up filming on an episode about Norman's suspicious death. Charlotte told the Times-Picayune, quote, We hope the show will result in some response from someone who knows what really happened. We are convinced it was not a suicide, and we just want to find out what really happened. Before the end of the year, the Unsolved Mysteries episode was released. The episode ended with quotes from Charlotte and Norman Sr. Charlotte said, quote, We will not stop this investigation no matter what until it's finished. We owe it to our son. Norman Sr. added, quote, It's a great deal of strain knowing that he was murdered and nothing has been done to bring his murderers to justice. Unfortunately, nothing in Norman's case changed after the Unsolved Mysteries episode aired. A year later, in the fall of 1999, Lumpkin was not re-elected as sheriff. Then, in November of 1992, he and 36 others were arrested at a dogfight in Fords Creek, Mississippi. It's unclear if the charges against Lumpkin stuck, as there was no follow-up reporting in the newspaper. A few years later, in July of 1995, Lumpkin faced even more trouble when he was arrested after a, quote, domestic dispute at a water park. During the incident, he purposely crashed his car into a park employee's car he then rammed her car into a fence. Lumpkin was arrested and charged with simple assault, malicious mischief, disorderly conduct, and carrying a concealed weapon. However, the charges were dropped later because the victim didn't go to court. Now that's the last thing we could find about Lumpkin. He unfortunately died in 2007. Now regarding Lumpkin, over the years there have been many rumors about how Lumpkin might have played a role in Norman's death. These theories are rooted in accusations that Lumpkin was engaged in corrupt and illegal activities, including the sale of drugs and possibly connected to the Dixie Mafia. The New York Times described the Dixie Mafia as a group involved in various criminal activities, such as car theft, burglary, contract killings, drug smuggling, and drug distribution. The Mafia, which was founded in Biloxi, Mississippi, was very active in the South in the 1980s. Some suggest that Norman accidentally witnessed Lumpkin assisting in the pickup of drugs in the woods, possibly dropped off by a plane linked to the Dixie Mafia. Norman might have been killed to eliminate any witnesses, with Lumpkin potentially covering up the murder. Another possible theory I want to talk about is similar to the one that I just mentioned, but could also explain how if this is a situation where Lumpkin isn't on the up and up, like I said earlier, this would be his motive this would be the reason behind why he's so dismissive 
about potential evidence, right? If it's not because of the evidence itself and it's just not clear as day what happened to Norman, this could be for a reason why Sheriff Lumpkin wanted this case to go away. So this theory is that Lumpkin may not have been responsible for Norman's death, but could have helped cover it up due to his alleged ties to the drug trade. Some further theorize that Lumpkin may have had some influence over the district attorney and judges, which would have made cover-ups easier. Now, regardless of what theory you believe, almost everyone seems to agree that Norman Ladner did not take his own life. Most find it implausible that a 17-year-old could shoot himself in the temple with a shotgun. It's unclear which, if any, of these theories are true. What is known, however, is that Norman's father, Norman Sr., passed away without knowing the truth about his son's fate. Now, Charlotte, on the other hand, Norman's mother, is still alive at the age of 80, and she continues to wonder about what happened to her son. All right, so let's dive into the perspective here. I talked about a lot. We have four potential scenarios on the surface that were discussed, not including my own. But the the first one is accident. Norman's out there with a shotgun. He trips and falls uh, on the ground or falls out of a tree. And in the process, there's an accidental discharge. And unfortunately, he's shot in the head. Very possible. It's happened before. It can happen again. There's videos literally out there of DEA agents at, you know, safety courses where they're showing you how you should hold a gun and the gun goes off. So it can happen to anyone. That's number one. The second is suicide, right? Norman's feeling some type of way. His parents don't pick up on it. He goes out to the woods to kill himself in a place where he was comfortable, in a place where he wanted to take his life away from his parents and maybe hope that they wouldn't find him and they wouldn't have to see that. The next two theories, you can kind of combine them. We talked about them five minutes ago, and that's that Lumpkin had something more going on, right? He was involved in some criminal activity, and there was an incentive for him, either directly or indirectly, to make Norman's murder go away, right? He didn't want it coming back to people he was affiliated with. So he played either a large or small role in dismissing any notion or any evidence that could suggest Norman's death was anything other than a suicide or an accident. Here's my problem with that. And again, it's possible, especially in a town like this, but there would be a lot of players involved with this for it to all go down, right? There would have to be some major influence on behalf of Lumpkin and potentially the Dixie Mafia for this all to come to fruition because you would have to have the sheriff's department the coroner, the forensic pathologist, the ballistics expert that the that the the Ladners hired that would have, you know, switched the bullet intentionally so that they couldn't continue this right. It would be have to be a large conspiracy, a multi-jurisdictional, multi-organizational operation here where they all collectively work together so that the Ladners couldn't get the justice they deserved, right? They would all have to be working it on under that same mindset. There would have to be a lot of money involved to make this all come together so so cleanly. And when I said at the end of this that most people uh, don't believe that Norman killed himself, I'm more referring to Norman's family and the community around him. Um, but as far as the investigators and the professionals that were involved in this case, they all do believe that this was either an accident or a suicide. So where do I fall on this? I'm never going to sensationalize a case just for clicks. I'm just not going to do it. And I have been in a situation 
numerous times throughout my career where I have had to give parents or family members news that they didn't want to hear. And I knew they didn't want to hear it going into it. But our job is not to be uh, nice. It's to be honest. If we can be sympathetic to the situation and be respectful, that's always number one. But I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you what I what I think, what I truly think, what I truly believe. I'm doing you a disservice if I lie to you. So I'm going to continue that trend. I'm never going to change. I'm almost 40 years old now. I'm too old to change. If I had to put my career on it based on just the limited information I have without being on the ground, without knowing every single thing about Lumpkin and his crew and how how much was going on there at the time, you know, was the drug trade a a prevalent thing? You know, was there anything else in Lumpkin's history that would suggest um, he may have had something to do with this? You know, was, you know, was there other things in internal affairs reports or internally within the police, the sheriff's department that would suggest he was involved in this type of activity? Those are all things that would play a role. But based on what I know, even the charges that we talked about, none of them are related to the drug trade, right? It, it's my belief that more than likely this was an accident. This was a tragic accident. Norman was out in the woods playing where he normally played, doing what he normally did. And more than likely, I, I don't have any indication it would be a suicide because there's nothing that we've discovered or that Lumpkin has released to us that would suggest he was suicidal, right? So more than likely, this was an accident. He was either in a tree or tripped over a root. And it could be a situation where as he's falling to the ground, he does get that cut on his head. The gun goes off or it kind of gets jammed in his head a certain way, which that gun itself could have hit there and then hit again on his temple and went off. And that might have snapped the wood stock of the shotgun and the the sheer force from the shotgun going off after injuring the front of his head could have flipped him over onto his back. That's how that's how strong those shotguns, the blast can be. So. Um, it could be a situation where, or, or as he was falling to the ground after being shot, he kind of bounced a certain way as he was falling. I think whatever happened for the gun to go off like that, it would have been during a fall or during a trip, which could have caused an injury to the forehead and then caused him as he fell to land and end up resting on his back. What does this mean for this case? Well, it just means that that's my opinion and that's all it is based on my experience, based on what I know about the case. But if this is really going to ever go anywhere, it would rely on people in that community to come forward with maybe not necessarily information about Norman's death, but more information about the individuals who worked Norman's case. And that's what I just alluded to a couple minutes ago. Is there a connection? Is there a correlation here where Norman could have stumbled upon something that he shouldn't have seen or heard? Or is that area known for hunting and has there been any reports or anything about maybe illegal hunting going on out there during different times of the day where it could have been a situation that Norman walked into a a crossfire of something going on between two individuals or a man or woman hunting uh, an animal. All of that's possible. But again, we have to have reports of that. And if something like that happened, I would think there would be outside parties that would be familiar with it. Maybe somebody confessed to it, et cetera. Those individuals would have to come forward. But either way, I wanted to cover this case to make you guys aware of it. That's what we do here. We cover cases that you haven't heard of. Um, not only because 
there's some mystery to this case, but also because there may be something that one of you can potentially do about it. As I said earlier, Charlotte's still alive, and I don't think she's necessarily sitting down to watch a YouTube video or listen to a podcast, but a friend or family member of hers may. And I hope if she has the opportunity to listen to this episode, she's able to hear what I have to say now, which is, Charlotte, I'm so sorry for your loss. I can't imagine losing a child. Every time I hear about cases that involve the loss of a child and I hear the struggles of the parents and what they go through for the remaining part of their lives, I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about your family. And I want you to know that if something other than what has been reported happened to your son, in this lifetime or the next, the people responsible for it will be held accountable. But I really do hope for your sake and the sake and for Norman's sake that this was just an accident, an unfortunate, tragic accident that just couldn't have been avoided. And it was Norman's time. I really do think without knowing you that more than likely what drove you to this level was the fact that people believed your son would take his own life. Because it sounds like initially when, when it was ruled an accident, although it was tragic, although it was a tough pill to swallow, it was something that maybe you could have you could have eventually accepted. But when they started saying that your son killed himself, knowing him the way you and your husband, Norman Sr., knew him, it just wasn't an option. And that's why you guys went the route that you did. And I will never question how well you know your son. So I stand behind you and support you 100%. And for all of you, just a quick recap. On August 21st, 1989, 17-year-old Norman Ladner was found dead in the woods behind his family's Picayune, Mississippi convenience store. He had been shot in the temple. And if you have any information on Norman's death, please call the Mississippi Coast Crime Stoppers at 1-877-787-5989. I know the holidays, we just had Halloween pass. I hope everyone had a good trick-or-treat night. We have Thanksgiving coming, and then we have Christmas coming. And as we enjoy these months, I want everyone to keep a, you know an eye on their surroundings, make sure they're aware of everything. Sometimes these times of year cause uh, individuals to come out of the woodworks because they know that people are carrying around expensive gifts and money, you know, all these things. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but ultimately I want you guys to stay safe out there. So with that in mind... Everyone have a good night. I'll see you soon.